Hi, everyone. Susie O here. Just want to let all of you know that the certificates of deposit at Alliant Credit Union are now at, for a six-month CD, 5%, a 12- to 17-month CD, 5.15%, and an 18- to 23-month CD, 4.90%. And for those amounts of $75,000 or more, just add on 0.5% to those rates. Go to myalliant.com and check it out. Susie Orman here, and you are listening to the Women in Money podcast. October 15th, 2020. Welcome to the Women in Money podcast, as well as the men smart enough to listen. This is Ask Susie Anything. This is where you write in and ask a question, and if chosen, it's answered on the podcast. Best way to do it, in fact, the only way to do it, is to go to the Women in Money app, You can download that at Apple Apps or Google Play, search for Susie Orman, and you ask your question right there. And guess what? Here I am again, Susie O with... It's KT. Everyone knows that I'm here. They expect me to be here. (laughs) So this first question, this is from Marcella. And Marcella sounds like a great gal. Hi, Susie. I've not skipped a beat during this pandemic, and the company I work for has been thriving. I need your inspirational words. What do I say to my boss when it comes to that time for the in-person review? I haven't been able to truly advance due to the constant heavy workload. I've done the same thing for six years. I don't see room for advancement unless someone leaves the company. Please share your thoughts as to how I may ask for a significant raise. Thank you in advance for all you do. And this is my favorite part. And I love, love, love KT (laughs) on the podcast. I love you too, Marcella. Yeah. So I just want to tell everybody before I answer this question. So here it is. It's Thursday morning. It's early and KT's sleeping. Okay. And I say, I go, come on, let's get up. We got to do this. You know, this post at five o'clock in the morning, you got to get up and do it. And Katie's like, okay. I said, do you want me to just do it without you? She says, no, No. (laughs) (laughs) they expect me now, Susie. They expect me to be there. So I'm like, okay, no problem. Marcella, listen to me. You really have to adjust your attitude here. And you cannot blame the fact, listen closely to me, I'm saying this out of love to you, is that you can't blame the fact that you haven't gotten the promotion on your company, on the fact that you're not going to get a promotion unless somebody leaves. You have got to make those that you're dependent on a paycheck for dependent upon you. You have to do everything above and beyond the call of duty. And when you go in there 
and ask for a raise, you have to do it with the most power you have ever felt before in your life. I would not go in there and ask for a significant raise. Because if you ask for a significant raise, they're going to say what? They're going to say yes or no to you. I would go in there and I would make it an either or question. I would go in there being powerful, being strong, being smart. And I would go in there feeling really secure in who I am. And I would say, I want a 10 or 15% raise. That is not a yes or no question. That's an either or question. And let's see what they say. Because it takes a really strong boss to say, I'm not giving you either. If you really feel you deserve a raise, then maybe it's time, even right now in the pandemic, that you start thinking about maybe this isn't where you are meant to stay. To be able to leave a place that you're already working at, you need an eight-month emergency fund. You need to be out of credit card debt. You need flexibility. So if you decide, you know what, I'm out of here because they're not appreciating me, that you can leave. Just remember this one saying that I'm going to leave you with. When you undervalue who you are, the world undervalues what you do. Can you just think about that? Are you undervaluing yourself? Do people feel like they don't need to give you a raise? Because what are you going to do? You're not going to say anything about it. Just think about what I just said. All right, next question. That was good. So glad you liked it. <laughs> no, that's good advice. I think that's really important. Susie, this is from Mahala. Hi, Susie. I hear you talking about life insurance a lot. You tell us to get a million dollars in coverage, but could you specify which term insurance? I was looking into it and I see term life, 10 years, 20 years, etc. So overwhelming. How do I choose? Mm. Mahela, you never heard me say you had to have a million dollars of insurance. You just need to have enough insurance that if you unexpectedly died, that there would be enough death benefit so that if it were invested at like 3% or 2%, it would generate the income that was loss. Your real question is, however, how do you know if you should have a 10-year, 20-year, 30-year, and what does that mean? When you buy term insurance, there are many different kinds of term insurance that you can purchase. You can purchase annually renewable which means every year your policy renews, but your premium goes up. You could buy five-year, 10-year, 20-year, or 30, like I just said, and those are the years where the premium is guaranteed at the same level. So if you got a 20-year level term policy, for all 20 years, your premium would be level. Again, just go to selectquote.com. Put in your information, five quotes will come up. You select the one that's cheapest. Okay, Susie, next question is from Kelly Joe. Hello. Hello, hello, Kelly Joe. Hello, hello, Kelly. I am 36 and have finally met the person I want to spend the rest of my life with. I'm happy for her. 
We are both financially independent. Are there any financial benefits to getting married? It's not something I've ever seen myself doing, but for this person, I just might do it. Thank you so much. Well, let me ask you this, KT. For years, we were together and we weren't allowed to get married. And then a few years ago, it was passed where gay marriage was legal. Any benefits? All right. Do you want me to answer Kelly? I'm asking. I don't want you to answer Kelly. I want you to answer me. Are there financial benefits? Any benefits, period. Yeah, what but forget they? financial. They, they don't even. I don't even care about financial benefits. The biggest benefit is that you say you're married to each other. That's like the most beautiful thing you can do. I love being married. I love married life. I like saying that you know we're wives and spouses and we're married. It's really. Who cares about the finance benefit? I don't care about that. Well, there you go, Kelly. Now you know. But just in case you want to know financially speaking, it's this, especially when you get older, if you're married or maybe even not when you're older, both of you have retirement accounts. Maybe you have a substantial amount of money in the retirement account. And let's say he dies all right, you get to take over his retirement account as if it were your retirement account. Can't do that if you're not married. Also, maybe you acquire a whole lot of money one day and you want to leave it to your spouse estate tax-free. Well, guess what? You could leave your spouse billions of dollars and he or she doesn't have to pay any estate tax on it because you never know in the future what they're going to do with estate tax limits. Then there's other things like social security and possibly being able to claim half of your spouse's social security or take over their social security, which may be larger than yours when they die. And there's really about, oh, I'd say 1,142 exactly (laughs) financial (laughs) benefits to being married. But truthfully, I liked KT's answer. Yeah, love, baby, love, love. love. I'm so surprised she didn't ask me if I loved being married, but okay, go on, You do, I know you do. But KT, it hurts me that you don't wear your wedding ring. Well, you know why. Yeah, because you have- I have arthritis in that knuckle and it won't fit. Makes me sad. Well, we'll get a new one, get a bigger one. Okay. Okay, ready? Next one is from Christy and Steve. Hi, Susie. I listen to you all the time and look forward to your weekly podcast. My husband's 51 and I'm 50. We're playing catch up with saving for an emergency fund. We currently have about two months emergency fund in our credit union. We are saving at the same time in our Roth IRAs, contributing $550 a month combined. And my husband is still contributing some money in his TSA account. What do you think about having an emergency fund in a Roth IRA? Does it need to be kept separate at a bank? I want to contribute as much as I can to our Roth IRA, but I want to be secure in our emergency savings. Thanks. This is from Christy. I love this question, Christy. So you betcha you can use a Roth IRA as your emergency account. And no, it does not have to be kept at a bank. I personally would be keeping it at 
a discount brokerage firm very shortly. TD Ameritrade is going to be Charles Schwab. So it would be either at Charles Schwab or Fidelity or one of those. But here's what you need to do, right? You need to make sure that the money that you put in to a Roth IRA while you are building up your emergency fund outside of your Roth is invested in a money market account. It is not to be invested in the stock market because if you need it, you don't want to have to get it when possibly the markets are down. So you would just simply put it in a money market account at the discount brokerage firm that you are with. Then once you have built up an emergency fund outside of the retirement account, then you can go back to your Roth IRA and invest all of that money. Remember, any money that you originally put into a Roth IRA, you can take out at any time, regardless of your age or how long it has been in there without taxes or penalties. But what's good about you putting that money in there is the max that you can put in because you're 50 or older is 7000 a year. So this way you're getting 7000 in, 7000 in, 7000 in. And if nothing goes wrong, and now you've built up your emergency fund outside of your Roth, now you have $21,000 more in a Roth IRA that you wouldn't have had in there if you hadn't done it this way. So Susie, here's another topic on the Roth. This is from the Boyers. Hi, Susie. We're three years out from retirement. Should we convert at least some of our traditional IRAs into Roth IRAs? We have the cash money that could be used to pay the additional taxes due to the increase in income from converting. We currently make about $120,000 a year gross taxable income. We expect to make 76000 a year from railroad retirement and draw approximately 36000 a year from our retirement savings. We need advice. Thank you for considering us. All right, Boyers, here's what I think. Because I don't know how much you actually have in your traditional IRA. I can't accurately answer this question. But when you are three years out from retirement and you need $35,000 from your traditional IRA in order to live, I would not be converting money to a Roth IRA unless you have so much money in there that you can easily take $35,000 out and not really notice it. But I don't think that's the case here somehow. So you aren't long enough from retirement to be doing this. If you told me that you weren't going to retire for another 10 or 15 years, and there was time to make up for the taxes that you paid in growth on the account, I would have said something different. But three years to take out $35,000, I don't think so. Susie, here's a question from Alana. My question is about my mom. She has a whole life policy and she's 68. I told her that now people are saying term is better. So at this point in her life, what should she do with her policy? Leave it as it is or make changes. She has two adult kids and one year old grandchild. She seems to think the cash value can go to him at her death. What's your advice? So this again is a hard one to answer only because I don't know, does your mother have money? Can she afford these premium payments? And does she enjoy wasting money? 
Truthfully, I really don't like whole life insurance. I've never liked whole life insurance, and I'm never going to like whole life insurance. So the point being, I would look at what the cash value is today. Truthfully, the kids don't need insurance anymore because they're grown. The one-year-old child, all right, grandchild, nice that you could leave them something, but not for what it's costing her. So if she's healthy and you have to know that she is healthy, you never cancel a policy until you know if the person is healthy. I would probably cancel this policy, take whatever cash value there is, and I would invest that money. And it could be invested for the one-year-old. You could have a custodian account for the grandchild or whatever it may be, but I sure wouldn't be wasting money on whole life insurance. Should she buy term? No, she doesn't need insurance. Listen, everybody, you only buy insurance when you need insurance. You don't keep insurance because one day you had insurance and maybe now you don't need it. Get rid of it every penny counts today. And as I've said, you have to count every penny and not throw it away in a whole life insurance policy if you happen to be healthy. KT, tell them the story about your whole life insurance policy. Oh my God. I think we told them in the very beginning. I met Susie and we didn't even know each other that long. And I mean, we knew each other for a few months. She told me that I had to cancel my whole life insurance. I said, what? She said, just cancel it. And I knew that when I canceled it, I was going to lose, how much did I lose? $150,000. And I was so proud that I had this policy, which every year on my birthday, I put in, I think, 15 or or 20. I put in quite a bit. And Susie said, I'll tell you what, KT, you cancel it. You lose that money. Let me make that investment for you. Because she still had a $50,000 cash value in this policy. She said, let me take the money and invest it for you, and I'm going to show you the difference of growth. Well, here I am, everybody. She made me really rich. All right. All right. There you go. So this next question is from Lori B. Hi, Susie. My partner and I have been living together for six years in a home that he built with his dad, 20 years ago. We have similar incomes and do not have any joint accounts or common property. We'll not be having children. Since moving in, I have been paying $1,200 a month in rent to him. This amount has increased over the years in direct correlation with my income. I agree that this is fair since we're sharing a household. We're now engaged, but I'm uncomfortable with two scenarios. One, if he passes... I could theoretically be kicked out of the home. He has told his sister, who is his executor, verbally that if he dies, I should be allowed to stay in the home for as long as I can pay for the upkeep, utilities, and taxes, currently about equal to my rent amount. Once I leave the house, it will be transferred to his blood heirs. Second part of this, The mortgage will be paid off in the next eight years. He said that he still expects me to pay the same rent amount, mortgage or not. I can't help feeling that paying all of this rent is a bad investment since I never acquired a transferable asset. What is your advice on our situation? He's 47, I'm 41. So hopefully neither of us will die soon. I would like to have a plan for these scenarios 
that is fair for both before we're married. There will be a prenup, but currently I am more concerned about having a will that could formalize his wishes as it relates to myself and the house. Can I just say something, Susie? After reading this, she's getting like the bad end of the deal both ways. Yeah, she right? is. So, Lori, listen to me. First of all, you don't need a will. What you need is a revocable trust where he leaves you a life estate in that house, if you're even going to stay there, which we're going to talk about in a second. But you cannot trust his word to his sister. How many times have I seen a family turn on the spouses or the girlfriends or the boyfriends of their brother and sister and say, sorry, you're out of here. I want the house. I'm going to sell it, whatever. So just leaving it for a sister doesn't make any sense. And what happens if all of a sudden he's gone and he's visited his sister and his family and they're on vacation together or they're just on a holiday trip together and he and his sister die. They're in a car accident. It happens. Then what? Then who protects you? What I don't like is his nonchalant attitude about protecting you. Now, I know a lot of you may not enjoy me keep saying what KT and I do, but I think it's a really good example. And that when you're in a relationship with somebody and they have more than you, it should be their desire to protect you, their desire to not have to make you pay for everything. And it's just not right. When KT and I first met, KT had a home and she only had $150,000 left on her mortgage and it was in her name. And just a few years into the relationship, I paid off the $150,000 mortgage for her because I wanted her to own her own home outright. So then what we decided to do was to renovate her home. Okay. That was in her name, which I paid for. What do you want to say, KT? No. And, and I said, okay, great, Susie, let's put the title in both names. And she refused. And I over and over and over again, because it didn't feel right. I said, wait a minute. I trust you. We love each other. Put the title of this home, very valuable property, by the way, in San Francisco, put the title in both names. That's what's fair. And she, she refused. All she wanted was for me to feel very secure that if anything ever happened, I had now a really valuable home after that renovation. And so the point that we're both really trying to make here to you is that that should be the feeling of the person that you want to marry, not, oh, it's all right. I told my sister this and that. Oh, and after it's paid off, you're going to continue to pay money. No, a marriage is about money as well, where that money could be invested and it could be growing for yourself and give you security so that one day, if you ever did decide to leave that particular house, you could buy your own home. You might not want to stay there forever. You don't know how you'll feel about living there. If God forbid something happened to him, maybe the memories would be too intense for you to stay there. I'm not liking this relationship, girlfriend. And there is no way that if you asked me if you should be marrying him, that I would say you should be. I don't like it at <laughs> wait all. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I, I like think, it. I know. <laughs> She's not liking it, Lori. I don't like it either. <laughs> All right, so go on to the next question. <laughs> <All right. laughs> okay, Susie, this is from Amy. 
Hi, Susie. I'm 53. I have $320,000 in a thrift savings federal retirement. I have $10,000 in credit card debt with zero interest for a year. I have a three-month emergency fund and savings. I have a 30-year fixed mortgage at 2.99%. I have two parent plus student loans for $10,000 each. Here's my question. My son is a sophomore in college. I have twin girls who will be in college in 2022. Should I continue taking out 10,000 parent plus loans each year to help pay my children's college? Or should I take advantage of the CARES Act, no penalty withdrawal from my thrift savings to pay for college? I'm considering taking out $85,000 to pay for college. I don't plan on retiring for 12 years. Help. Boy, she needs your help, Susie. Whoa. Oprah would say she needs a Susie slap down. She needs down. a Susie slap, slap down. down. Those kids yeah. can pay for their own school. But that's not even the point. Amy, I really need you to listen to me. And I need you to start thinking differently about money. First of all, you can only take money out of a thrift savings plan or an employer-sponsored plan if you've been affected by COVID, which means that somehow you got laid off because of COVID. You weren't able to get another job because of COVID. But if you're still working and everything's great, your employer may not agree to $85,000 taken out. And even if you were able to take it out, you don't get to just take it out $85,000 with no taxes on it. That $85,000 will be divided by three. So approximately 28 or 20 some odd thousand dollars a year, you're going to have to pay tax on that money over the next three years. But it's not $85,000, girlfriend, that you're taking out. You need to think about this as what would that $85,000 be in 12 years when you go to retire? And even at just a 4% rate of return, which is nothing, you would have $137,000. You take it out and what's left in your TSP is like $235,000. After 12 years, you're going to have only $380,000 in there, just a little bit more than what you have right now. You just lost 12 years. Again, if you left it in there, you'd have over half a million dollars and possibly more if the stock market continues to go up. And so, this is not something that you should do. Parent plus loans are incredibly expensive. You don't have the money to fund your children's college education. Let's just get real here. Look at what you don't have. You don't have money. You have a three-month emergency fund, five months short. You know, you have a 30-year fixed rate mortgage. You have two parent plus loans now. You have $10,000. No. You have to have a good talk with your kids right now. And if they're going to continue on in college, they're going to have to either finance it themselves or go to community college. You need to get real here, seriously, because you're going to be in trouble 12 years from now. This is from Nicole. Hi, Susie. My husband has been offered an early retirement with his company. He has the option of taking his standard retirement paid as a monthly joint annuity of $3,284 a month for a lifetime, 
with a two-third survival benefit included. I don't know what that is. I knew it. I no. knew it. I knew it. Go on. All right, wait, because I had to know that because I have an idea of what I would do. He can also You take, can't tell them what you would do when you don't know what a two-thirds annuity that's why is. That's going to make my decision really clear if once you tell me what that is. Okay. He can also take the retirement annuity as a lump sum of seven hundred and three thousand dollars, which we would roll over into an IRA. Additionally, there are other 401ks as well as savings. Which would you choose to do, lump sum or annuity? We like the idea of security with the annuity, but we're a bit worried that inflation could wipe out the value of the annuity. He is only 60 and I am 58. We're both in good health. We would love to hear your opinion as I listen to you often and respect your ideas and knowledge. Nikki. Right now. Now, wait, wait, Susie, tell me what's a two-thirds survival benefit. All right. So two-thirds survival benefit is he's getting, I think you said $3,284 a month. He dies. She gets 75% of that, two thirds of that, she gets 75%. So it drops for the rest of like her 3,284. It's going to drop to about $2,463 a month, every month for the rest of her life. Both of them die in a car crash together. All $700,000 is gone. Hmm. Well, all right, let me just answer this question because all of you should know what a joint and survivor annuity is. If I just want to say this, if you are ever taking a joint and survivor annuity, they normally also offer a 100% joint and survivor annuity, which means whatever the spouse's benefit is, they die, you get the exact same amount. That's what I would be telling you to do. But in this particular situation, I don't want you to take the annuity. And the reason that I do not want you to take the annuity is because of your age, 60 and 58. If you have other money available to you and you're still so young, right? If you have other money available and you can get by, obviously you're probably going to be taking on another job because this is early retirement, meaning you weren't expecting to retire. So, all right. And the reason that I want you to do that is I just want you to think logically. You have $703,000. The $3,284 that you would get per month if you took it is only a 5.6% return on the money. If in fact, he died and you got $2,463 a month, that's only a 4.2% return on the money. That is not very good. You could get that in good paying dividend paying stocks, all kinds of ways. So what I rather see you do is take the money, the $703,000, and very simply, you probably aren't really going to retire for another 10 years. So if that's true, if you invested that money within an IRA at just a 4% annual average rate of return, that would be over $1,050,000, which could easily give you an income alone without you ever touching the principal, the exact same thing the annuity would give you right now. And I understand very well that you wouldn't be getting the income now, but you're not going to need the income now and you don't want to add to your tax bracket by taking $39,000 a year 
in the annuity payment, not when you're this young. So no, roll it over. Hmm. So that brings us to the end of Ask Susie Anything. KT, I love being here with you. You do, really? Listen, if I didn't, do you think you'd be sitting there? But look how fast it goes, right? I, I'll tell you, no one else could sit here and look at you the way you're dressed right now. We won't go into it. All right, everybody, till Sunday, you stay safe. Neither Susie Orman Media nor Susie Orman is acting as a certified financial planner, advisor, a certified financial analyst, an economist, CPA, accountant, or lawyer. Neither Susie Orman Media nor Susie Orman make any recommendations as to any specific securities or investments. All content contained in this podcast is for informational and general purposes only and does not constitute financial accounting or legal advice. You should consult your own tax, legal, and financial advisors regarding your particular situation. Neither Susie Orman Media nor Susie Orman accepts any responsibility for any losses which may arise from accessing or reliance on information in this podcast. And to the fullest extent permitted by law, we exclude all liability for loss, damages, direct or indirect, arising from the use of this information. The must-have documents discussed in this podcast are legal documents created by a lawyer and distributed by Hay House.